Let's, um, let's pray as we open God's word. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And Father, I thank you especially for your people today. I'm just reminded as, as we started our morning, Preston prayed and, and he, thanked, he thanked you for, for giving us Jesus, but also for giving us each other. And uh, Lord, I'm, I'm just so grateful that you've given us brothers and sisters who know you and who we can do life together and who we can be encouraged by. Father, this is one of the great purposes of your church to exhort and to encourage one another. And so I thank you for my brothers and sisters this morning. Father, now as we, we turn to your word, Lord, I ask that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we know that uh, as this song that we just sang says, it is not I but Christ in me that brings us into your kingdom. It is the spirit within us that enables us to live in your kingdom. And so, Father, I pray that you would fill us afresh this morning with your spirit as we look at your word. And Lord, I pray that you continue to do your work, and I thank you that you are making us one degree at a time into the image of your Son. Father, speak to us as we dig into Scripture today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Matthew chapter 5. Um, you're probably used to hearing that by now. We've been in Matthew chapter 5 for probably about two months now, as we've been looking at the Beatitudes that Jesus gives us at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, these declarations of blessing that the Lord Jesus declares upon his people. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, is the one that we're looking at this morning, and it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And as I was Reflecting on this this week, as I was kind of just sitting with the scripture and, and praying and, and thinking about it, there was this image that repeatedly came to my mind as I was thinking about this scripture. And it was that this image of the Canadian Forces peacekeepers. I remember when I was a kid, you know, back in the 90s, when we had regular television, you know, cable television where you had commercials and things like that. Uh, all of my children have no idea what I'm talking about. But I remember in the 90s, and I'd be watching TV, and I would regularly see these images of these peacekeepers on TV, whether it be a commercial for the UN, or whether it be a, a news story of what they were doing. And, and I remember seeing them and thinking how incredibly identifiable they were, because they wore these bright blue berets, and they drove around in these, these white United Nations vehicles, and they had that blue United Nations crest on their arm, and of course they had the Canadian flag on their chest, and, and it's an image that stuck, is, has stuck in my mind uh, since I was a kid. And, and peacekeepers, what they would do is they, they go to foreign nations, right? They go to foreign nations and they work to restore and they work to keep peace, and their, their role is to mediate between two sides in a conflict. They try to help bring about a resolution or to restabilize a region that they're working in. And these men and these women who would give their lives to this work, they would give their lives putting their own safety aside, 
their own self-interest aside in order to serve others. They would go to these places and they would serve people that they never met before, people that they don't know. And even though it could be dangerous to them, and in spite of the fact that some of the places they were going to, they weren't always welcomed uh, by the people were, that were there, they would still go. And they would do this work trying to help people. And so this is the picture that I had in my mind as I was reflecting on this beatitude this morning. And I was thinking about the fact that even though their job was difficult, even though they had a, a difficult role, I'm sure there were incredible blessings that these people got to experience or these peacekeepers get to experience when they do their work. I'm sure there's, there's blessings when they see the fruit of their labor, when reconciliation happens in an area and children are able to play outside safely and families are able to live in peace once again. And I was thinking about this blessing and then about the fact that Jesus in this beatitude here in Matthew 5, 9, he gives his own blessing, a blessing that is altogether different, a blessing that is altogether more lasting, a blessing that is altogether more significant for his people that he declares upon those who are peacemakers. He says, they will be called sons of God. That's a pretty amazing thing that Jesus is saying there. And what this declaration makes clear for followers of Christ is that the expectation from our King is that all who follow Christ will be peacemakers. We will work to make peace. One of the overarching things that we will spend our lives doing is bringing and working for peace in this world. You know, one of the interesting things about how this beatitude reads is that an individual could incorrectly interpret what Jesus is saying here. If you take this beatitude straightforward, you could interpret it as saying, if you work for peace, then you'll be called a son of God, as though a peacemaker in itself is the prerequisite for being called a son of God. But we know that this is not the case, and this is not what Jesus is saying, nor is this the biblical understanding of becoming a son or daughter of the Most High. We become sons and daughters of God by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. Paul teaches in Romans 8 that upon coming to faith in Christ, or in Paul's words, being found in him, an individual receives the spirit of Christ. And Paul says, along with that spirit that you receive comes this spirit of sonship, this spirit of having a relationship, one of a son to a father. And Paul continues, he says, the Holy Spirit that we receive then testifies to our own spirit that we are, in fact, God's children. And this happens in faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, that we become sons and daughters of God. And I point this out merely because I want to keep our minds on the fact that our sonship in God's house and our belonging to God's kingdom as heirs with Christ is through Christ alone. It is a gift from God so that no man may boast, as Paul says. He birthed sonship into us, not by any works that we have done or would ever do. Some tendency that people have towards this religious heart, this works-based approach to salvation, can fire off when you read a beatitude like this. And so I want to root ourselves in the truth that our works flow from salvation or our sonship with Christ. Works do not lead to salvation or sonship. And so 
With that in mind, what Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying, if you are truly a son of God or a daughter of God, if you are truly found in him through Jesus Christ, you will be a peacemaker in this world. Sons of God are peacemakers. And so though the correct understanding of this keeps us from trying to work for our salvation, it doesn't excuse us from the fact that there is work for us to do. That God does clearly give us work to do. And if we are truly in Christ, we will step into that work because it is an imperative. Sons and daughters of God are peacemakers. And so very plainly, what I would say is we need to consider the negative of these. If you tend to stir up strife, if you tend to cause enmity, or hostility, if you live at odds with others, if you're marked by divisiveness, if you're marked by quarreling, if you're marked by ungraciousness toward other people, these are not fruits of the Spirit. These are not marks of the kingdom. And if you can be regularly characterized by these things, if this is how other people would characterize you, being someone who is an agitator, someone who is an instigator, someone who is an arguer, and you are a Christian, then this is a very clean sign that you are not walking by the Spirit, but you are more taken by the ways of the world. And this is something that needs to be repented of. And so what does it mean for us to be a peacemaker? And I think it's helpful in our understanding of what it means to look back at the picture of the armed forces peacekeeper to see glimpses of what we are called to be as peacemakers. And so I want to give you just four attributes from looking at the armed forces peacekeeper of what we should maybe look like as followers of Christ. And so first, the armed forces peacekeepers are easily recognizable, as I said. They wear these bright blue berets, and they drive around in these white UN vehicles. And likewise, a peacemaker will be easily recognizable as we work for peace in a culture that is increasingly and highly divisive. One of the marks of a peacemaker is someone who builds bridges between individuals and groups, whereas the tendency in our culture is to try to tear bridges down and build really high walls that people have to try and climb over just to be accepted. In our culture, there is this increasing desire for justice, but it is a worldly justice that causes division, not healing. If you think differently, if you live differently, if you view the world differently, then increasingly you are seen as an enemy that needs to be dealt with. There is this divisive kind of pursuit of justice in our culture right now. And the most extreme example of this kind of divisive spirit in our culture is what we call cancel culture. In dictionary.com, it defines cancel culture in this way. It says it's the popular practice of withdrawing support or canceling public figures and companies after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. It is generally performed on social media in the form of group shaming. So if we just kind of narrow the focus of that down, narrow the definition of that down, it is a popular practice of canceling someone or a group when they have done something that is objectionable by gathering other people together and publicly shaming them. 
This is what we are consistently seeing in our culture. This is what is consistently happening right now. And the problem is, in a culture like ours, there is no standard for what is considered objectionable. One thing might be objectionable to one group, while it is completely reasonable to another group, and all this leads to is everybody canceling everybody. And all I have to say is that cancel culture is deeply unbiblical. It is deeply unchristian. And it should not be practiced amongst followers of Christ. And the sad thing is that it is increasingly practiced amongst so-called Christians. I myself have dear friends that I've known for years that have gotten caught up in this kind of vengeful, self-serving, self-elevating cancellation of others who have differing views than them. And this is not what sons or daughters of God do. This is not what we are to be marked by. We are to be bridge builders. We are to be reconciles. We are to bring peace. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, and Colossians 1, 21 and 22, Paul speaks very clearly to Christians about how God responded to us when we were enemies to him. And it is something that needs to inform our response to others. Romans 5, verse 10. For while we were sinners, or while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Colossians 1, 21 to 22. Talking about the work of Jesus, Paul says, and you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul says there, we were enemies of God. We were alienated. We were hostile in mind. We were doing evil deeds. And, and let's just be clear this morning about what we're talking about. We're not talking about some minor disagreement between two people. We're not talking about us saying something that another person finds objectionable or offensive. We're talking about being sinful, corrupted, evil human beings rebelling and offending against the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who is set apart, who is holy, who is over all. The two are not comparable. It'd be like comparing the little knoll in the front of my house to Mount Everest. Our offense against God is infinitely greater than any offense that we can do one to another. And so imagine if God's response to us was to cancel us. Just think about that. If God's response to us was to cancel us. We know what this means. Just look at your Bibles. It means eternal separation. It means eternal condemnation. It means all good things being removed from before us forever and ever. This isn't our Heavenly Father's response to His enemies. To us. To rebels. To, as Paul says, insolent haters of God. He did not cancel us. He redeemed us. He, Christ, has now reconciled us to him. He responded in grace with reconciliation. And it was at a great unthinkable cost to himself. 
Why would we think it appropriate to respond to others any differently than how our Lord has responded to us? As God built a bridge between Him and men through Christ, we work to build bridges. We are reconcilers. Second attribute, the armed force peacekeepers, they, they did their work in foreign countries. And likewise, a peacemaker's work is done in a foreign land. Right? Paul reminds us in Philippians that for the Christian, our citizenship is in heaven. The Apostle John exhorts us not to love the world. Peter calls those in Christ exiles and sojourners in a foreign land. The writer of Hebrews talks about how we are to desire a better country, a heavenly dwelling where we have a lasting city. All of these exhortations point to the fact that this earth is not ultimately our home. We are living and working in a foreign land. But while we are here, we have work to do. While we are here, we work to bring peace. While we are here, we do not spend our days separate from what is happening in the world. As I said last week, we don't build big fences around our homes. We don't put cameras to keep people out of our homes and just sit there and watch the world burn. We have work to do in the midst of the land, in the time that God has placed us for the good of the people around us and for the glory of God. This dwelling may not be our ultimate home, but we have been charged by God to steward it well. And for those who have been reconciled to him, we now work to reconcile others so that they may realize that there is a better country to desire, that there is a better home, a lasting city that is found through Jesus Christ. Third, uh, the armed forces, peacekeepers, they do their work for the interest of others. Likewise, a peacemaker is to serve others, is to put aside self-interest for the good of other people. And this is one of the hardest aspects of it. I mean, if we're honest with each other, this is one of the hardest aspects of peacekeeping because, or peacemaking because it goes against our flesh. Right? If, if we're honest in our flesh, our flesh is selfish. And its default is to care only about you. The default of our flesh is, I care about my little kingdom, and that's it. Our flesh wants to keep. Our flesh wants to store up for itself like the foolish man who built bigger barns. But peacemaking is work that will often be done at our own expense. Peacemaking is work that will often cost us. And Paul tells us in Philippians 2, think of others as better than yourselves. Look to the interests of others, not your own interests. This is the kind of heart that a peacemaker will have. Last, the armed forces peacekeepers, they work in dangerous territory. They often have to put their own lives at risk. And likewise, the work of a peacemaker can be dangerous. Jesus warns his people, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And this will certainly be true of an individual who is working for peace in a divisive culture. It may come in the form of mockery. It may come in the form of lost friendships. 
It may come in the form of outright hostility against you. But we should not be surprised by these things, the Lord tells us. I think these examples help us to see the work of being a peacemaker is something that we do that naturally flows from a life of faith as citizens of the kingdom of God. And we model this work after our great Lord and our great King. Our model for peacemaking is Jesus himself. I just want to read a few scriptures to you. You know, one of the most famous scriptures that we often read at Christmas time, we can see what kind of Savior Jesus was going to be. Isaiah 9:6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the great Prince of Peace. And so how did he live out his role? How did he bring peace to people he didn't bring peace by force as the jews thought that he would the jews expected this military messiah this man who would come and would tear down the roman empire and set up this great jewish empire on earth and that's not what they got in jesus so how did he do his role well let's look at another favorite scripture that we use around easter time isaiah 53 5. but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So the, the great Prince of Peace brought peace through laying down his position, through suffering, through taking on the penalty of crimes that he did not commit. And through his suffering, Paul tells us in Romans 5.1 that we have been justified. Through what Jesus did, we have been justified by faith when we trust in that work. And that gives us peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to model Jesus. And so a word of caution to you. If you find yourself more often fighting for peace rather than humbly working for it or sacrificing to bring it, then you may be missing the way to peace that Jesus has called us to follow. Paul gives us a beautiful picture of the peace of Jesus that he has won for us through his work on the cross in Ephesians chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 14 to 18, it says this, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down his flesh, or has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he, came to be, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. He has given us himself, it says. He has made us one. He has removed hostility. He has reconciled us to God and to each other. 
and he came to those who were far off and those who were near. And so from this, I want to pull what kind of peace are we working for? What kind of peace as followers of Christ are we trying to accomplish in this world? And I think it's very clear in Ephesians 2, verse 15 to 16. He might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And so the first kind of peace that we work for is peace between God and man. My voice is not liking me today. Can you tell? We work to bring peace between God and man. There is a hostility between God and man, and Paul gives us the reason for why that hostility exists in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 7, Paul says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And so if we consider what Paul says there, and then we pair it with Colossians chapter 1 that we looked at earlier, Paul's message is very clear. Paul's saying all people are alienated. All people are hostile in mind to God apart from Jesus Christ because they live by flesh. And a mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God because it cannot submit to God's law. This is the state of all people apart from Christ. And we work in partnership with the Holy Spirit to change that reality. You know, one of the interesting things is that most people you run into, they wouldn't consider themselves hostile to God. Not many people are walking around saying, oh, yeah, I'm hostile to God. I hate God. It's not something people often recognize in themselves. Some people would. Some people outwardly hate God. But most just consider themselves indifferent to him. But to give you just an example, when someone is pressed on this topic, you can see how all people in the flesh are hostile to God. Think about how many people make arguments regarding God that start with something like this. I can't believe in a God that. I can't believe in a God that would do this. Right? And what's interesting is often what follows in these kinds of arguments is this kind of depreciated view of God, but not necessarily wrong. Right? I can't believe in a God that allows children to get cancer. I can't believe in a God that allows thousands to die in a tsunami. I can't believe in a God that has so many rules, and so on and so on. And as I said, these may be coming from a depreciated view of God, but they aren't entirely wrong because God is supreme. God is over all and through all and in all. God ordains all that happens, whether it be cancer or tsunami, as well as all of the good things that everybody ignores. He gives commands, yes, but they are for the good of his people because he created us. He knows how we work. He knows what we need. And so what's actually happening when people make these kinds of arguments is that they're showing hostility to God. The idea that God 
does ordain all that happens is a hateful thought to people. The idea that God doesn't stop all evil from occurring in this world is a black mark on his character. They're hostile to his ways because they don't understand him. This is just one example, but it points to the role that we have as peacemakers. We must work to make peace between God and men. And we do that first by savoring the Lord for ourselves. By looking upon him and seeing his goodness and seeing his beauty and just being in awe of how great he is. And then we proclaim him. We proclaim his statutes, we proclaim his ways, and we partner with the Spirit of God that he may bring man to know him, to come to love God's supremacy, not hate it. And so, in a very significant way, the call to be a peacemaker is a call to evangelism. In the words of Paul, how will one believe if they haven't heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? So to be a peacemaker is to evangelize, is to preach this gospel to fallen and broken people. The second way we see in Ephesians 2, 15 to 16, that we work to bring peace is between man and man so we work to bring peace between god and man and we also work to bring peace between man and man and we see very clearly in paul's words that when we are reconciled to god there's also this reconcile reconciliation that happens between one another in describing humanity paul says the two become one body both become one body in Christ. And so in the context that Paul's preaching this, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's saying Jews and Gentiles become one body. The Jews and the Gentiles had a long sordid history of being utter enemies with one another. There was a great division between Jew and Gentiles. And that division happened in large part because God had given his people, the Jews, laws that separated them as his chosen people from the pagan Gentiles who did what was not right in the Lord's eyes. And so that separation naturally happened. But then, of course, due to fallen human hearts, hostility between these groups grew. And so Paul says, the hostility between the two was dealt with through Christ. He was bringing that dividing wall down and suddenly those who were enemies were reconciled to one another. The two became one body in Christ. And listen, you see this beautiful picture of reconciliation all over Jesus' church today. It's everywhere that you look in Jesus' church and all throughout history. Men and women who otherwise would not be friends 
men and women who otherwise would have completely different backgrounds, completely different life experiences, would have no reason to come together and be with one another, would maybe even be hostile to one another, come together under Christ to worship one king as one body. We see this all throughout the history of Jesus' church. And so as we work to reconcile God to, or man to God, we also work to reconcile man to each other. And I want to just give one very important note, I think, on this in the time that we live in. Right now in our culture, and it is seeping into the church, people are putting walls up. People are becoming increasingly hostile over things that Jesus is greater than. Specifically right now, race and ethnicity. Right now in our culture, much like had been happening in recent years with sexual identity, defining a person by their race, defining them by their ethnicity has become the most important thing about that person. And this is a practice that leads to division. As certain races, as certain ethnicities are automatically viewed as evil and others are praised just because of the color of their skin. And in this kind of culture, a big part of working as a peacemaker will be working through Jesus in the power of the Spirit in the area of racial reconciliation in the world, and in the church. And it will be a very difficult thing to do. And you will get slandered for it if you step into this kind of reconciliation. You will get slandered by the church. You will get slandered by the world, both thinking that you're going too far the other way. But we need to remember what Paul says about the two becoming one body. He says it even more clearly in Galatians 3.28. And it's very pertinent to what we see seeping into the church right now. Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Well, Nick Batzig in Table Talk Magazine said it perfectly, and so I'll quote him. He says, this does not mean that there are no more cultural distinctions or practices that distinguish members of different ethnic groups. What it does mean is that our union with Christ produces a union with one another that transcends any of our other associations in this fallen world. As blood is thicker than water in our natural relations, so the spirit is stronger than both in our union with Christ. We need to remember as people of God, that our highest identity is not our race. It is not our ethnicity. It is who we are in Christ. And when you get that right, you can work for racial reconciliation. Show me a church that is pushing heavily the racial agenda of the world, like critical race theory, and I will show you a church that has lost sight of what Paul says here. Putting race above Christ does not lead to healing. It leads to division. 
It doesn't reconcile. It tears apart. Having our identity ordered correctly in Christ first allows us to work for reconciliation in this area with other people. I could do an entire sermon on that, but I'm not going to. We don't have time. <laughs> Just one other area that we see where we reconcile man to man. We see it in the relationship between a man and his wife. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we see that people are reconciled together in a relationship between a man and his wife. What did God say in Exodus 3? As part of the curse of the fall, the woman would desire to lord over her husband, but he would lord over her. And so all through history since that, women and men have been fighting with the way that God has designed things to be trying to get authority over the other. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you are saved by this gospel, you rightly understand how God has ordained things, that men have been created to be the head of the household, these servant leaders that are there to serve their wives, to serve their children, to lay down their lives. And when a man does that rightly, a woman is so happily willing to come under his authority as God has created, knowing that it is the best thing for her because he is serving her and wants the greatest and the good for her life. This kind of hostility is removed in Christ between a man and his wife. And there's so many other relationships that we see this happen as well. I'll end with this. Peter, or sorry, Paul says in Ephesians 2.17, Jesus came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. And so the last two things I would say is a peacemaker works for those who are near. A peacemaker, in this original context, Paul was talking about the Jews. The Jews were near. They had the, the tenets of God. They had the, the, the scriptures of God. They knew his ways. They'd gone a little bit off, but they knew him. And so they were near. And so a peacemaker works for those who are near. Those who are nominal Christians. Those who would say, I am a Christian, but have never stepped foot in a church. We work for those people to bring them into a fuller relationship with Christ. We work for those whom, as Paul says, live as though they know God. There's just those people that have the law of God seemingly written on their hearts, right? And like, you know, in the natural, sometimes you meet people and you're like, they'd be a great Christian. Right, We work for those people who seem near to God, who just seems to have the law on their hearts, but we also work for those who are far away. And in the original context, those who are far away were Gentiles. We live for those who have a life that is in deep contrast to the things of God. We go to those people because why? Because in the original context that Paul was preaching, guess who those people were? You and me. We were the Gentiles. We were the ones who were far away. And so we go to those who are far away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ, you have brought us peace. Father, time fails to talk about in all the ways that this happens and lives out in our life. We could talk about how there's now peace in our own hearts through Jesus Christ. But Father, we thank you first and foremost that we have peace with you. 
that we are once again in relationship with our creator, the one who made us, the one who knows how we tick, we, the one who understands everything we need, everything that we struggle with. Oh God, this is the greatest relationship that we can have. And we thank you, Lord, for that, for bringing us to it. And Father, as those who have been reconciled, help us to bring others. God, help us to evangelize, to go and teach about you, your goodness, your greatness, all of the things that you've done in this world and continue to do so that others may know you, so that others may recognize that they have this greater inheritance in heaven than anything on earth. Father, we also pray that you would help us to reconcile between one another. Father, we thank you, as I said, that there are so many different people in here that have different life experiences and different backgrounds. And in any other situation, we would never maybe come together. But because of you, we have one thing in common, and that one thing is Jesus Christ. And he is greater than all. He is greater than race. He is greater than experience. He is greater than anything. And so we come together under him. And Father, help us to bring more in to this kingdom, to know you, to be reconciled to one another, knowing that it just helps align all other aspects of our life. As I said, our marital relationships, our relationships with our children, everything when we submit ourselves to you. Father, may we go not just to those who are near, but to those who are far, to those who look so incredibly different than ourselves, to those who live so differently than ourselves. And Father, we know that Paul also says that we live with one another peaceably so far as it is up to us, so far as we can cause that to happen. And so we know there will be those situations where when we speak the truth in love, it will cause hostility, it will cause division, but that is not the heart that we go with. And so Lord, we work and we speak knowing that it's your spirit that will bring the fruit. Thank you for giving us peace. Thank you, Lord, for reconciling us to you. In Jesus' name, amen.